Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Today, I have prepared a drink called the Army Special. The Army Special. Okay. Yes. It's one shot of gin, one shot of vodka, and 45 milliliters of Roses, lime, lime cordial. I okay. I think they're the same thing. I don't, I'm not really sure, but. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Yes. Let's, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and try these. All right. Here we go. It's a lot better than I was expecting, honestly. Yeah. It's very limey, but I like lime. So. I never had that lime cordial stuff before, but. I don't think I have either. Doesn't taste too bad. No, it's good. And it really kind of mutes the gin, which I'm not a gin fan, so I'm glad that I can't taste the gin. But it also allows it to be a little softer, not so fiery with the two alcohols in there. Yeah, it complements it pretty well. Agreed. Okay, to accompany this drink, I have some history of gin. History of gin. Okay, I'm ready. Hit so, me. gin originated as a medicinal liquor made by monks and alchemists across Europe, particularly in southern Italy. Uh, I also made it in Flanders. I thought that was a Simpson character. And <laughs> the Netherlands yeah. uh, to provide aqua vita from distillates of grapes and grains it then became an object object of commerce in the spirits industry interesting yeah started out as a medicine and then people realized they got them drunk so well that's fair yeah that's fair so why did you pick this drink so i picked this drink because my story involves the CIA and the Army. Okay. And the drink was the Army Special. Got it. Okay. I'm on board. Let's go. Periodically, the CIA will declassify documents to become public knowledge. The Army and the CIA believed that psychic powers could be harnessed and utilized for the benefit of the government. From 1969 to 1971, the CIA believed that Russia was using psychic powers to train their citizens in intelligence collection. Uh, The CIA discovered that in 1975, Russia was spending 30 million rubles, which is about 5 million uh, U.S. dollars. That $5 million at the time? 
no. Okay. Uh, to combat this, the CIA created programs to try and harness the ability to remotely view things. Remote viewing is when someone with psychic abilities is able to see something happening in real time anywhere in the world. CIA believed that everyone holds this power. They cannot use it without proper training. Well, I'm definitely not trained because I would like that power and I don't have that power. <laughs> Maybe that's what dreaming is. You're just going, you're remote viewing something happening somewhere else. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Uh, the CIA first explored this training uh, in California at the Stanford Research Institute in 1972. The, the experiments began with a few individuals believing or claiming they have psychic abilities, one of which was an artist named Inigo Swan. Swan was a claimed psychic who called himself a consciousness researcher who had sometimes ex experienced altered states of consciousness. He also said, I don't get tested. I only work with researchers on well-designed experiments. Swan inspired uh, innovations have led to impressive results in parapsychology. However, experiments not controlled by Swan have not been successful. And they are rarely mentioned and if so only in passing so the ones that he controlled were successful but the ones he did not control were not successful that's that what i'm seems fishy okay yeah yeah might not have been the best uh scientific researcher sounds like okay <laughs> uh all trainees for the program required a 65 percent psychic accuracy rate they also recruited an entertainer named yuri geller who was known for the ability to bend spoons without touching them test this the cia locked him in a soundproof room with no visuals so it was just a dark pitch black room they picked random words from a dictionary and illustrated the meanings of the word and taped it to the wall outside Yuri's room. For the word fuse, the CIA drew a firecracker, and Gellin Geller drew a drum, which he said was a cylinder that made sound. So, I guess he wasn't too far off. I guess a firework is a cylinder that makes sounds. True. True. Uh, for the word bunch, the experimenters drew 24 grapes, and Geller also drew a bunch of grapes which just happened to contain 24. Wow. Yeah, so he was spot on with that drawing. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, Yuri's ability was applied to a 1977 army program called Gondola Wish Program, which purpose was to train army personnel to collect sensitive intelligence using psychic powers. A journalist named Jack Anderson discovered this information and wrote an extensive article about the experiment, which led to the cut of funding for the experiment. Oh. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, however, the experiments continued on despite the lack of government funding. And by 1991, the project came under the name Project Stargate. Stargate. 
Project Stargate cost around $20 million, including 40 personnel and 23 subjects. During its time, one remote viewer was able to locate a downed Soviet bomber and was only a few miles away from its actual location. Wow. However, all the information the remote viewers got correct, they still remained at about a 15% accuracy rating. As a result of this, the program was terminated around 1995. That's not very successful. We mm. only have that low. 15, 15%? Is that what you said? Yeah, 15% Ugh. accuracy. So Whoops. not great. Whoops. Definitely not a passing grade. No. You're not going to get anywhere with 15% yeah. Project in a class. Project Stargate's getting sent to summer school. That's for, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Nice. That is a very interesting story. I do wonder how they come up with the names of these things. Like, who got to name it Project Stargate? I think they just open up the dictionary to a random page and put their finger on a word with their eyes closed. Well, and you just might pick be right. that one. You might be right. All righty, Jane, what brutal podcast story have you come up with for us today? I have a story about a man named Richard, or called also called Dick, Marquette. Uh, he was also nicknamed the Barfly Killer. Mm, okay. So... Seems to fit our podcast accordingly. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Uh, all right, here's my story. Letting the dog out is a common occurrence, and sometimes they will bring home a little surprise they found. Sometimes it's a rock or a stick. But for one woman in Portland, Oregon, in 1961, the dog brought home something much worse and much harder to ignore. This dog brought home a paper bag containing a dismembered human foot she called the police police arrived when they were there to collect the foot the dog brought home another find this time it was a human hand i really hope my dog doesn't bring anything like that home agreed that's grody agreed so two days before this grisly discovery joan coddle a married mother of two left her house to go shopping for a Father's Day present. When Joan didn't come home, her husband reported her missing. He was questioned thoroughly, and he mentioned that Joan had been feeling depressed recently and might have gone to a bar. While at Joan's home, the police looked at her shoes and determined that the foot in question was an appropriate size for Joan's shoes. An autopsy of the foot and hand revealed that the parts had been drained of blood. Oh, that's not normal. No. Not quite sure how you even do that so thoroughly, but they said it was completely drained of blood. That's not your average uh, incapacitated hand. No. Nor dismembered foot. Nope. Uh, Police continued their investigation and were able to find a witness at a Portland bar who recognized Joan 
as a woman who interrupted a conversation that she had been having with a man who called himself Marquette. So this woman's in a bar chatting up a guy. Joan comes in, interrupts the conversation, and then the guy that she was talking to proceeded to hang out with Joan instead of her. So um, apparently this woman's quite known in the community to hang out in bars. And I that could be part of the whole barfly killer thing, but he didn't kill her. Um, police were able to identify Richard Marquette as the man who Joan was seen with at the bar, the one that the witness had been talking to. They located his residence in which they found bloody lingerie and body parts that were wrapped in newspaper, but he was nowhere to be found. Joan's head was unable to be located. The body parts found in his home were also drained of blood. Where did the blood go? Also a good question. A warrant was issued for his arrest, but they didn't know where Marquette was. The Oregon state governor requested the help of the FBI, who for the first time in history expanded their top 10 most wanted list to include an 11th person, Richard Marquette. The day after being added to the list, Marquette was seen in California. He was quickly arrested without incident and brought back to Oregon. Marquette told the police that he and Joan spent some time catching up in the first bar. Apparently they had gone to school together and she recognized him when they met in the bar. That's how they had known each other. And um, after they had been talking at that first bar, they went to a few more bars before going to his house. He said they had consensual sex but then got in an argument, which caused him to strangle Joan to death. He didn't have a vehicle to dispose of Joan's body, so he decided to dismember it and discard some of the pieces. That's his story. With his assistance, police were able to finally locate Joan's head in a nearby river. Due to all of the circumstances, police were unwilling to believe that Joan consented to sex, so Marquette was also charged with rape. He was convicted of Joan's murder and sentenced to life in prison. However, it's not the end of this story. In 1973, after serving only 11 years, he was let out on parole. Two years after Marquette's release in 1975, a fisherman outside of Salem, Oregon, found some dismembered body parts floating in the water. The area is was searched and more of the body was located. The body parts were drained of blood. Police were able to determine the identity of the victim as Betty Wilson. Betty was from North Carolina, but had been living with her sister in Salem. She left an abusive relationship in North Carolina after her 11 children were put into foster care. Betty was last seen at a busy nightclub in Salem. Again, Barfly, not that anybody's a Barfly, but that was his nickname. Apparently, he liked to pick up women in bars. A stand-up guy. Real nice. Due to the similarity of Betty's body and Joan Cottle's uh, dismembered parts, the police suspected Marquette. They were able to obtain a search warrant for his home, discovered several pieces of evidence linking Betty and Marquette. He was arrested quickly, and when confronted with the evidence, he confessed to Betty's murder. He claimed a similar story to the murder of Joan, stating that he and Betty had agreed to sex, 
but when she changed her mind, he strangled her, dismembered her, and disposed of her body. He was convicted of her murder and again sentenced to life in prison. While incarcerated, he also confessed to a murder that he committed in 1974, one year after his early parole and one year before Betty's murder, so in between. He was able to lead police to her location, but he was not able to identify her. This victim's remains were just skeletal, and she has never been identified. At the time of recording this podcast, Marquette is still alive at 87 years old and in the Oregon State Penitentiary and is one of the oldest prisoners inside. And that, that is my story. That's fucking... Uh, it's brutal. Yeah. That... Very brutal. And... Those two other deaths could have been prevented if they hadn't paroled the guy. Yeah, not a nice guy. God, it is, and it's so close to us. Mm-hmm. Being in Oregon, that's... Right. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. I found him because I was looking up another case that will be in a couple of episodes um, to figure out if the other guy was still alive. And he was, and it had a listing of the top, like top 10 oldest prisoners. And Marquette was on there and it had him listed as a serial killer. And I was like, I've never heard of this guy. How have I not heard of this guy with all the podcasts I listen to? This is what we like to call the chaser, just to help lighten things up. So, Jane, what do you have as a chaser for us today? My chaser is a TV show recommendation. Um, we love to watch the show Alone on the History Channel, where they take survival experts and people that are skilled in survival techniques and they drop them off in the wilderness and make them survive for as long as they can without anybody around them. So they really are alone, except for one episode or one season, they had a partner, but typically they're alone and they do all their own camera footage and they do, they have to build shelters and find their own food and sustenance and take care of their own water. And it's a really good, interesting fun show to watch and we like to make little side bets on who's going to go out first and who's going to stay in the longest and what kind of things are going to happen we bet on things like oh the next person to get injured we divvy up all the contestants on teams and then whoever's person does the thing that's planned as our bet for the week then that's the team that wins Right. So it's a cool little game you can make out of a show. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I think you can do that. Box. And you could do that with a lot of the reality TV shows. Yeah. They get kind of repetitive and they do. And it makes it yeah. a little bit more fun to watch. True. So that's my chaser for today. What is your chaser? My chaser is also 
a recommendation of something to watch. It's not a TV show. It is a stand-up special. Uh, okay. Just came out the other day, I think. I, it, at least it's new to me. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's Tim Dillon's new comedy special. He's a comedian. He's got some political views, but he makes it funny. I don't think I've heard him or seen any of his stuff. So I'll be interested to check that out. I think this is his first Netflix special. special. Okay. Or like streaming service special. Okay. I'm not sure. And you know me. Am I going to like it? I think you like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're always really good at recommendations. You always pick something for me that you know I'll like. So yeah, I trust you. Okay. I trust you. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us listening to our podcast and this fun little episode. We appreciate you.